0: As society moves further and further away from the golden era that our parents or maybe grandparents grew up in, the thought that's permeating our culture is how much further can we go until we're at the end times? How much further can we go until life as we know it comes to an end? Now, if you're a person of faith, you probably know that Jesus promises disciples that there will be trouble. Now, what may be more troubling is how that may play out in light of some of the current circumstances surrounding our world. There's a series of increasing concerns ranging on everything from inflation to the world seemingly becoming more of a darker place to wars and rumors of wars and wealth inequality, climate change. And the bigger question is, is the world becoming worse by every passing moment? In this video, we're going to answer that question in the answer may surprise you. Bruce line. Obviously, we're facing unprecedented times. The last two years have been difficult for many of us. And as we're looking ahead, the grim reality of potential inflation, of bubbles bursting, whether it's the stock market or the housing market, it seems like whenever we're engaging with any type of conversation, there. The threat of collapse, of end, is very real. And I I, I want to acknowledge that there are challenges that even in things like me and my wife are going through with attempting to hopefully one day save enough money to become homeowners or earn enough so you can get ahead and provide a better future for your children than you had. All these different things are, are realities that I think we could acknowledge. When I came to faith, it was right after 9-11, and it really felt like the world was coming to an end. I mean, we've never seen planes crash into towers and that sort of carnage. And then the wars that followed afterwards and the looming tension of a rapture and the end of days, these were a lot of realities. And as I think about the different pockets of society now, I think... As followers of Jesus, we still have that reality that Jesus is going to come back, that there will be trouble in this world, that all of those things are reality. But you look at other pockets in communities. If you look at folks from the climate change society, for example, they're pressuring to create policy based on a date of 2030. There might be irreversible damage to our climate if we don't make adjustable actions, if we turn on the news, it seems like there's mass casualty event every day now. There's a lot of really looming tension. And I think with the idea of inflation, the idea of did your parents have it easier, did your parents have a easier way of getting ahead is a real tension. Are we getting worse? Is society on the verge of collapse in the sense that we're getting worse? And in the worst case scenario, I have a passage of scripture that I think will glue all this together if you watch till the end. So first thing, I want to just show you guys a a quick chart, and this is from a professor of economics. And he put, this class, he put this chart up. So we're going to just talk about the middle class first who are looking to change our current situation, that want to have a better life for our kids. So this is the middle class household income. And then we're going to get into has society gotten worse and are we on the verge of collapse, all that kind of stuff. I want to play this for you guys. And this is from Professor Anthony Davies, Five Myths. Okay, so check this clip out. And I think you'll find some value from it. Listen to what this professor has to say.
1: This is the distribution of households in the United States in 1970. All the numbers
0: here are adjusted for inflation. So 1970, the mean of our population is right here in the middle class.
1: The height of the bar is not income, it's the fraction of households that exist in the income level. So here we have what today we would call less than $15,000. And in 1970, About 15% of U.S. households had incomes that that would be the equivalent of what today we would call less than $15,000, and in 1970, about uh, 10% had $15,000 to $25,000 of income. The uh, largest percentage of households were in the $50,000 to $75,000 range, and then what you see is way over here, very few households, about 1% in 1970, earned what today we would call more than $200,000. That's the United States in 1970. Here's 1980. And you see slightly fewer households in this poorest category. A little bit more here, a little bit more here, a lot less here, a lot less here. And we have more in the rich categories. This is 1980. Interesting. Here's 1990, 2000, 2010. And the last year the data is currently available, 2013. And notice a pattern here. As we look at the fraction of households in each income category, amongst these poorest categories, we see far fewer households in this lowest category, about the same in this category, and a little bit less here. So in total, amongst the low income categories, we have fewer American households here today than we did in 1970. In the middle income households, we have less, fewer households in this category, fewer households in this category, about the same here amongst middle-income Americans. There are fewer households than there were in 1970. The middle class is indeed disappearing. In in fact, so are the poor classes. Hmm. And where are all these Americans going?
0: They're going here. So the question becomes why, when we turn on the news, is the looming threat of financial collapse always at every becking turn? When the reality is that if we're talking about wealth inequality, if we're t- and remember, this is adjusted for inflation. If we're talking about wealth inequality, if we're talking about, I don't know, overall financial progression, it seems that there's a huge shift of people removing away from being poor, and these categories are shrinking, and these categories are slightly increasing. So the the, the thing that I'm always hearing is. You're not going to be able to get ahead. The middle class is shrinking. You're not going to be able to have the life that your parents had. Your parents were better off. Your grandparents were better off. However, when we're looking at that chart, that doesn't really tell the truth. It looks like people are moving further along. We're going to answer the question of why this is the stuff that's permeating our media. This is the stuff that's permeating our thought process. Why this is the stuff that's consistently in our theological circles, why our polarization and and, and political persuasion is driven by this idea of this doomsday scenario. Let's, Let's keep watching.
1: From 1970 to the present, of course there are exceptions, but here we see a trend. The trend is, over time, and adjusting for inflation, Americans are leaving the poor categories, they're leaving the middle income categories, and they're showing up over here in the rich categories. So myth number four, the middle class is disappearing. The fact is, it is. It's joining the upper class, and the poor classes are disappearing as
0: well. Myth number five, people are becoming worse off. So this is the one that I always see in Christian discussions. Moral decay, everything is completely collapsing as we know it. People are Becoming worse and worse and worse. Why are these the things that we're hearing in the media? Why are we? Why we're going to get to that question in a second. And again, I got one passage that's going to glue this all together, even if the worst case scenario is true. But let's actually look at what the the, the math says. Listen up. In
1: 1798, Thomas Malthus published a treatise claiming that over the next few years we're going to see massive starvation as the population grows and grows, and we're now unable to feed ourselves. Hmm. And Thomas Malthus wrote in response to looking at the data you see here. This is the world population going back to 10,000 years B.C., up to the time of Thomas Malthus, and you can see what happened. The number of people on the planet was rising exponentially.
0: By- so he predicted that we were not going to be able to feed people. This is when the population was 800 million.
1: 1798. We're, if this trend continues, we will never be able to afford people. We're going to have mass starvation throughout
0: the globe. Have you guys heard that overpopulation, population control, there's too many people? I'm sure we've heard that, yeah?
1: This is the point at which your grandparents were born, and the population between Thomas Malthus and the time your parents were born had grown by two billion people. This is the point at which your parents were born. We added another one billion people between the time your grandparents were born and the time your parents were born. This is the time most college students were born. And between the time your parents were born and your college students were born, we've added about 2 billion people. And from the time today's college students were born until the present, we've added another 1.5 billion. And at the time of Thomas Malthus, 98% of the world lived in abject poverty.
0: 98% of the world in 1798 lived in poverty.
1: Since Thomas Malthus, this is what's happened to population. And yet, what's happened to world poverty? In Thomas Malthus...
0: What do you guys think? World poverty. Has it gotten, gotten worse or gotten better?
1: Today, 90, over 95% of the world lived in poverty. By the time today's college students' grandparents were born, world poverty had dropped to 65%. By the time their parents were born, world poverty had dropped to just over 40%. By the time today's college students were born, world poverty had dropped to 30%. And today, world poverty is less than 10%.
0: How many of you guys said that world poverty got worse? (laughs) World poverty is less than 10% than it was 200 years ago.
1: At the same time that we have seen exponential astronomical growth in the number of human beings, world poverty has declined from north of 95% down to just 10%. And if you want to look at specifics, you can see here, this is data for the United States,
0: comparing we're going to get to the moral argument in just a second just keep watching with me and just follow along i got a passage for you okay just just keep watching for me
1: 2011 to 1992 or 1998 what we see here is the number of households who have washing machines about the same more households have dish have clothes dryers more households have dishwashers about the same number of households today as in the past had refrigerators Fewer have freezers, more have televisions, uh, more have about the same have electric stoves, more have microwaves. In almost every category, more American households today have appliances like these versus American households a generation ago.
0: Your quality of life is substantially better than your grandparents. Your quality of life, even if you're poor, is substantially better than how kings lived 100 years ago. That's a fact. This is housing conditions.
1: Fewer households have leaking roofs. Fewer households have problems with pests. Fewer households have plumbing problems. In all sorts of ways, not only does the average American household have more appliances, it also has better housing conditions. The neighborhoods and communities are also better. People's basic needs are better. In all these various ways, what we see worldwide, we also see in the United States. On average, people have access to better qualities of life today than they did a generation ago.
0: Here's the actual statistics of the overall, have humans gotten better or worse? Okay, and then I'm going to address the moral question and we're going to have a passage of scripture for you guys.
1: The rate of firearm deaths are down 50%.
0: Interesting, isn't it? Over the past one or two generations, did you guys know this? The rate of firearms death is down 50%. Goodness gracious, every time I turn on the news, I feel like there's another
1: mass event. The rate of non-fatal firearm crimes are down 75%. The rate of deaths due to war are down 95%. Child labor rates worldwide are down 50%. Global income inequality is down 3%. Global gender inequality is down 15%. Global longevity and education are up 20%. And finally, global income is up 40%. All of this stuff over the past one or two generations. So myth number five is people are becoming worse off and the fact is it's the exact opposite. The reason this myth persists is because what we see in the news repeatedly are pictures of people starving, pictures of people shooting other people, of wars globally. And the reason we see these things is precisely because they're uncommon.
0: Hmm, so you mean to tell me that the stuff that's being pushed to us by the media are the very things that are uncommon, and therefore, that's what makes them news. What we don't see on the evening news are things that
1: happen every day because they're uninteresting. In this way, oddly, the evening news has become a litany of all the things that aren't true about your life.
0: So the very things that are making the news, the very things that are driving these narratives, people are worse, wealth inequality, the the, the reality of the middle class is shrinking, all these things, the, the the wars, all these things, the world is substantially more peaceful than it's ever been. There's more opportunity than there's ever been. And even though there are real issues happening, like we're on the verge of probably a recession, there will be some pain in the stock market. I know my Robin Hood isn't looking good right now. There are some realities that housing prices are are, are crazy right now. What we forget is these things are cyclical, right? And if you're a millennial like me, you're going to live through three recessions. But guess what? In the 1950s, there was four or five recessions, okay? If we're talking about moral decay, this is a big one that a lot of us people of faith are talking about. I got a couple examples for you. Go back and watch any documentary from the free love movement of the 1960s and pay attention to how wild the folks in the 1960s were free love was them basically getting it on. (laughs) That's what that meant. Okay. There was a massive SEX revolution. Okay. This is in the 1960s. And you know what happened as a byproduct of that? the Jesus movement right after what massive revival breaking out. Okay? There was the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. You guys remember that? How scary that was? It was horrifying. And then what happened? We continued to see more revival and more folks get saved as a byproduct. So when things go dark, when the world gets darker, those of us who have the light shine brighter. When you enter a dark room, all you need is the glow of your iPhone, to light up the room and help you navigate what you're doing and help others see the light. The interesting thing is, if we go to biblical times, have some fun and read the, the book of 1 Corinthians. Specifically, the 1 the, the Corinthians chapter 5. You think it's bad now? There was a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. Now, most folks would assume that's his stepmom, but... It might have not been a stepmom. You could fill in the blank. And you know what? Paul is so livid in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that he's telling them, like, not even the pagans do this sort of stuff because you celebrated and tolerated in your own church walls. These are people that knew the apostle Paul. This is 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest written books of the New Testament. And you're seeing moral decay that we don't see in church today. So is it that the world has gotten worse or is it that we've always been fairly wicked creatures and now we just have these little devices to connect everything and let us see everything that 20 years ago we wouldn't be seeing all the moral decay, all the issues, all the drama. Interesting, isn't it? But but I got a I got a passage for you guys. Let's just assume, let's just assume that the worst case scenario is true. Let's just assume that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That the persecution is going to break out. That things are going to be really, 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 really bad. If you're a Christian, it is just going to be awful for you. I got a chapter for you, often misquoted chapter. Jeremiah chapter 29. Everybody likes to cite verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you a future. What they don't know is the context that Jeremiah chapter 29 is written in, where these folks, these Israelites, are living under captive with the Babylonians. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, all contemporaries of the same era. So if you read Daniel, the same stuff is happening that we see in Jeremiah, okay? It's the same same window of time. And if you read Jeremiah chapter 29, the prescriptive words from God to a people that are living in bondage, not in a place where, oh, I can't talk about Jesus without being called a bigot. No, 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 no. This is substantially worse than that. Listen to what God prescribes to them in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 5. Verse 5, it says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. You want to talk about great evangelism? You want to talk about making the world a better place? Increase the numbers. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. God is telling, I carried you into this exile with Babylon. And seek out the peace and prosperity of the place to which I carried you into. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is not, read the rest of this chapter. This is not fluffy, Sugar bear, we're just going to make you feel good. This is a really dark time for the children of Israel, and God is telling them a few things. He's saying, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. First of all, he's saying to, hey, take, back, take some of this land, own some of this land, okay? Settle down in the land. You're going to be here. And then what does he say? He says, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Figure out a way to sustain yourself. Figure out a way that that, that that you don't have to live hand to mouth, that there could be something generated for you. This, in our context, in my opinion, this would be about creating useful skills, about making yourself a bigger asset to your team, at work, your job, whatever it is you're doing. That's what this is getting at, right? Make yourself more useful, Ma- improve your skill set, improve your mentality, improve the value that you present to people. It's going to be a lot of layoffs coming. Are you developing skills so that you make yourself an asset to whatever company you're working in so that you can't be replaced? If automation comes, you can't be replaced. You're that much of an asset. Verse six, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage. So first of all, he's saying, get married. Amen. Hallelujah. Single folks in here. Get married. But don't just get married. Have kids. Kids are a blessing. Don't have a gajillion kids that you can't afford. Have kids that you can afford. And then it says to have kids and give them over in marriage. So now we're talking, thinking generationally. We're talking about gener. These folks are living in exile. God telling them to think generationally. Don't, 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 don't just think for the now. Don't just think for the moment. Think for the next generation. Think, think in decades. It's that old age saying we overestimate how much we can get accomplished in a year and underestimate how much we can get accomplished in a decade. So many of us are running around thinking about week to week, day to day, month to month. Start thinking about your life in decades. And then what does it say? So that they too may have sons and daughters. So now we're talking third generation remove, increase in number there. And do not decrease. And then this is the part that we don't like to talk about. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek the peace and prosperity of this. I got to seek the peace and prosperity of the state of California. God, do you know how nuts Gavin Newsom is? Do you know the policies they're passing here? Do you know how whack the... Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And prosper here isn't just talking about financial stuff so you can have a Lambo and flex on people. This is talking about peace. This is talking about stability. This is talking about living your life in a way that honors God with your time, talent, and treasure. Even if the world is, is, is going to hell in a handbasket, even if things are, are, are going to get worse, I don't know if they are. If we're looking at the statistics on a macro level, things have substantially gotten better. If we're talking about immorality, I could point you to decades and books in the Bible, chapters in the Bible that were substantially worse than America is right now. So then why are we walking around with this mentality, afraid, petrified, shaking in our boots, with 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 a Christian martyr fascination, a Christian victim mentality, when everything we see in scriptures, we're commanded to what? Go out and make disciples. We are called salt and light. But we want to hide our light. We want to be afraid. We want to go and tuck our tail and hide in a corner. Why? You think that's the heart of Jesus? You think if Jesus was here right now, you think if the apostle Paul was was, was right right here right now, Peter was walking right here right now, I think I think he'd look around and be like, there's a lot of ways to help a lot of people right now. It's dark in some aspects, but goodness gracious, when it gets dark, a little bit of light shines very bright. I don't know what's going to happen next. I really don't. But I've lived through the 08 recession. We made it through COVID by the grace of God. If you're here, if you're watching this video, I believe that maybe... Maybe God created and positioned our generation for a time as this. Maybe that in the same way we saw some debauchery in the 60s and then the Jesus movement revival broke out right after, maybe God's gonna do something special with our generation. And maybe the stuff that we're seeing and the and the junk that we're seeing from the church, maybe that's a cleansing happen that needs to happen in the church whether it's flat-out immorality in the church or whether it's the polarization and politicization of everything being partisan. Maybe God's doing something and cleansing so that what, ha- what comes out next, maybe we're- maybe we're on the cusp of revival. Who knows? But regardless, what you're called to do in your life and what I'm called to do in my life and how you're called to lead your family and how I'm called to lead my family doesn't change. If you found this video valuable, man, make sure you smash that like button. Send it to somebody. Maybe it'll encourage them. And if you want to hear about a time where Hollywood surprisingly came to the defense of Chris Pratt, his politically incorrect views, be sure to check this video out over here. I'll see you over there, all right? Peace.